So the wife and I go to a fancy restaurant, and it was for Valentine's Day last February, right? This is going to be some backstory, and it's a fancy restaurant. Now, how I can tell if the restaurant's fancy, if it's the type of place where you're supposed to put the napkin on your lap, see, that's a fancy restaurant, because we never had that stuff growing up where I'm from in Southern Illinois. If we wanted a nice dinner on a Friday night, we were going to the Cracker Barrel because you can get breakfast there 24, you know, all day, every day. You can always get breakfast, whether it's 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. You can always get pancakes and biscuits and gravy. And that's that's how I live my life. And Cracker Barrel's not the type of place where you put a napkin on your lap. It's just not. And that's what I'm used to. Or if it was during the week, we would get half-price appetizers at Applebee's, and I would get mozzarella sticks because I love mozzarella sticks. It's the greatest appetizer in the world is a mozzarella stick, right? So we're out to eat last February at a fancy Italian restaurant, and it's the type of place where you're supposed to put the napkin in your lap. Now, I don't do those sorts of things. I don't keep up with appearances. I like to use my napkin to wipe my hands off. I don't want to ever put my dirty napkin on my lap. So I I refuse to do so now that the man comes over and he takes our drink order, right? And then after he takes our drink order, he takes my bundle of silverware, unrolls the napkin from my silverware, and places the napkin in my lap. And that's what he did because I was breaking the code of conduct at a fancy restaurant. But I didn't know that. They don't put a napkin. No one's ever put a napkin in my lap at Cracker Barrel. It's never happened to me before, and it happened to me this time. So I understand napkin etiquette in a fancy restaurant says that you should put the napkin in your lap. Now, fast forward to just last weekend. Me and the wife go to P.F. Chang's. I love P.F. Chang's. We want to get some delicious food from P.F. Chang's. They have great spring rolls and great rice. So we go into P.F. Chang's, and it's a restaurant where you've got a fancy napkin, right? They don't bring cornbread out to you, and they don't have the little game to where you've got the little peg hooks and you have to leave one on the board. That's not an option here, right? P.F. Chang's doesn't have that. So I understand I'm supposed to put the napkin there, but the genius that I am and the messy eater that I am because I love to shovel food in my face, I take my napkin and in an Einsteinian moment of just pure genius, I tuck the napkin in my shirt collar so it cascades down my t-shirt so food doesn't get on it. And my wife looks at me. She goes, Quentin, you can't tuck the napkin in your shirt. You need to put it in your lap. And I said, but honey, I'm doing the right thing because I'm putting the napkin in my shirt so my shirt doesn't get dirty. And she says, no, you've got to put the napkin in your lap. And hence, we had Napkin Gate 2018 was born because I realized in my head, why would I want to wipe my hands on a napkin and then place the napkin back in my lap? Do you understand that doesn't make any sense? A napkin should be placed in your shirt collar for it to drape down so you can protect your clothes that you've spent your hard-earned money on. And I don't get it. I don't get why people put napkins in their lap, right? I'm not five years old. I'm not going to be dropping food in my lap. I need to protect my shirt, you know, because I like really like I don't use napkins. Like I'm not a napkin guy, you know, like if I've got cheese from Doritos, on my hands. I don't even wash my hands. I lick the cheese off. If I'm eating ribs, I lick the juice off. I lick the sauce off when I'm eating ribs. How dare would you use a napkin to waste good food? You know what I mean? Like if someone forced me to wipe my hands with a napkin, I would probably eat the napkin afterwards because that's what it is. But tell me what you think about this. It doesn't make any sense to put a napkin in your lap. A napkin should be tucked in your shirt, Opie Taylor style, because you've got to protect the clothes. Am I right? Or am I right?
But hey, you know, I didn't, the fancy food I grew up on was Cracker Barrel. And to me, that sounds like the perfect Friday night date. Let's get to the show, guys. This is The Greatest Show on Dirt. I am your host, Quentin, coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studio. I was actually supposed to have a guest tonight, but as it turns out, my audio equipment does not work very well. I've got an audio piece with two inputs. One is where I talk, and then the other input is where people talk to me, and that input is not working. So we will have a new box tomorrow night, which hopefully I will have a guest tomorrow night. But for now, you guys are getting stuck with me, and I've got some notes. And we're going to talk a little bit of baseball. I think the number one thing we should probably talk about is the Milwaukee Brewers-Los Angeles Dodgers game four. And that was the game where Manny Machado was doing weird things on the bases. I'm actually not too sure what he was doing on the bases. But now I went to bed about 10 o'clock because I'm old. I've just turned 35. My knees don't work. I, I don't have great cardio capacity if... You know, I'm, if I'm being honest, I lie to my doctor. I tell him I exercise three or four times a week. But the fact of the matter is that doesn't happen. You know, the only exercise I get is walking up and down the stairs at work. It leaves me breathing heavy. You know, I'm exhausted afterwards and my legs burn. It's neither here nor there. But what I'm saying is this. Manny Machado, he, he was really running the bases, but I missed it. Right? You understand? I went to sleep. So I wake up this morning. And I, I see an interview with Christian Yelich, and Christian Yelich goes, he's a dirty player, and he's always been a dirty player. And then after the interview, he said, F that mother effer. And I was like, well, who's this guy talking about? Well, he's talking about Manny Machado. Now, Manny Machado got into, he did some weird tags last night, right? He, um, he slid into second base, and it was weird because, like, he was basically parallel to, like, the the uh the line between second and third base like his body was completely sideways and it was like he had his right foot on the back but his left hand was like reaching out like the still shot of Manny Machado sliding into second base looks like he's playing a game of twister where like he's just discombobulated like he might be possessed by a demon because his body's all contorted right but I'm not really mad at him because you know he's just trying to break up the play at second base and when it comes to breaking up double plays I'm all for it right Manny Machado wasn't sliding hard into these guys but I mean it, it was some serious serious strange stuff but the play that everyone is talking about was when he ran into first base with Jesus Aguilar now if you look at our Facebook which is at greatest on dirt, or you can go to our Twitter at greatest on dirt, or go to our Instagram, which is at greatest show on dirt. You can see the play where Manny Machado runs into Jesus Aguilar. So what happens is routine ground ball. Manny Machado, he's not really a hustling guy. He said as much today. He said he's not Johnny Hustle. It's not his cup of tea, which is odd for a baseball player to say. You know, a major league baseball player 
one of the best in all baseball says that he's not really into hustling because it's not his cup of tea, right? Like, I don't like that for my player, right? Like, I don't think Manny Machado is a dirty player. I don't want Manny Machado on my team, you know? Earlier in the season, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way when Miguel Cabrera said he wasn't going to play hurt anymore because he felt like the fans didn't appreciate him. And he just kind of, like, stopped playing. And so I really don't... I don't like where Manny Machado's coming from in the sense of I, I just don't hustle. That's not my cup of tea because, you know, nobody wants that. Like tonight in game five, Yasiel Puig stretched a single into a double and the crowd was pumped. He was pumped. He literally looked like a professional wrestler when he got into second base. One, because he's huge. And two, because he just like put his arms in the air like he was like HBK about to do like his pose in the center of the ring. I mean, it was awesome, dude. And I love it. And I love a guy that'll hustle. And I, you know, I don't think Manny Machado's a dirty player. I don't think whatever slides he had in game four, I didn't really think any of that was dirty. Honestly, the most egregious part of the thing was just saying he doesn't hustle. I don't really like that a whole lot, you know, and I'm not like this old school baseball player, but I wish you'd just run hard. And that's what Christian Yelich said post-interview. He was like, just do what you're supposed to do and run hard into first, but instead you didn't do it. So he grounds out to the shortstop. He nonchalant, just kind of jogging to first, kind of like, one might jog to the mailbox or something like that. And um, Jesus Aguilar caught the ball, but kind of just left his foot on first base, probably because I think he was irked that Manny wasn't hustling. So Manny kind of just kicked him in what was like an A-Rod-esque, you know, when he slapped the uh, the glove of the first baseman to try to knock the ball out of his glove when he was a Yankee. That's kind of like what this kind of equated to. So Manny didn't really go hard into anybody. So if you haven't seen any of the plays, but you've heard the quotes about Manny Machado being a dirty player, honestly, Manny Machado is not a dirty player. I work with a guy who's watch Orioles games live for like the past six years. He told me Manny Machado is not a dirty player. Honestly, Manny Machado was just kind of a dick on the bases. I think he was just uh, frustrated with the at-bat. I'm pretty sure he was frustrated that Jesus was just standing on the base, which I know Jesus was standing on the base because he was frustrated that Manny Machado was running slow. And honestly, like this isn't really a case of it being a dirty player. It's just a case of just two dudes just really sick of seeing each other, which is what I think. And, I mean, we only just finished game five tonight, which the Dodgers won, so the series is three to two. But I think that happens in a playoff format where guys see a lot of each other, games go deep. You know, when you're playing four or five-hour games and you know if you win, you go to the World Series, and if you lose, you don't, you kind of really just start to hate people. And To me, that's really what this was. It was kind of just like a dick move where you, like, ride someone's bumper in traffic or cut someone off and flip them off. You know, you generally wouldn't flip someone off to their face like, and Kroger right to their face, but you would when you were driving by him. And really, that's all this was, I think, with the Manny Machado thing. I don't think he's a dirty player at all. He's having a hell of a series. And really, I think just guys are probably just sick of seeing each other the whole time. But, you know, my beef with the Manny Machado thing is this, like, for you to say that you're not Johnny Hustle and you're not going to go, like, diving into a base, right, that's not really appreciated, man. And, you know, I'm just like I said, I'm not an old school guy who's going to be like, you better hustle everything out. Listen, you can't there, – there are 162 games in the season, and if you're lucky enough, you get to go to the playoffs. Dude, I, I'm the last person to get mad at a guy for, like, not hustling on a one-off shot. But Manny Machado this whole series has not been hustling. He grounded out to shortstop one night. Actually, I think it was the play in game four, and the shortstop, Orlando Arcia for the Brewers, had time to double pump before he threw Manny Machado out. 
And the thing about it is, is, you know, your teammates, they see that hustle, and I think it gets them pumped up, which is, you know, what happened with Yasiel Puig and his double tonight. He had a single, and he stretched it to a double. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Yasiel Puig, right? I know he does stuff that, like, really rubs people the wrong way, but I love everything about Puig. He's not perfect, and no Major League Baseball is perfect, but that hustle and that grind, I, I think it holds your teammates accountable, and it, it it keeps everyone going, you know. I don't think the Cubs come back from a 3-1 World Series deficit if it's not for a little bit of hustle. And with Manny Machado, you know, a team next season's going to spend, you know, maybe upwards of $200 million on the guy. And it, it's, it's important to have that leader on your team who's going to play hard when, you know, everything just sucks ass. And, you know, you might be losing by 10 runs or something. But you just never know. It's important to hustle the first not from like an old school baseball standpoint, but from a, hey man, you might get that shortstop that makes a mistake. He sees you hustling, knows you're kind of fast, thinks a little quicker than what he does, makes a rush throw, overthrows it, and all of a sudden you're on second base because the ball went to the dugout. And it's those things that mean something. And even if you're getting beat to put a couple of runs on the board in a losing effort, I think builds some sort of momentum for the next game because baseball's such this mental game. Anything you can do to... Just just do better. Anything you can do to succeed in the game, whether it's in a losing effort or not, in a 162-game span, momentum isn't just like from game to game, but it's really from play to play. So you could be having a really crappy game, but then in your fourth at bat have something really good happen. Maybe it's in a losing effort, but in a 162-game season, you never know how those things are going to play out. And I think it's important to really grab any momentum when you can, which is really the whole reason why I just think it's important to hustle, you know, with the Manny Machado thing. Um, As far as the series outlook looks, if I ask myself the question on who do I think is going to win the NLCS and the power rankings that I recorded about a week ago, I had the Dodgers on top of the power rankings, and I still stand by it, you know, and I stood by it the whole time even when they were down two games to one. Kenley Jansen looks great. Clayton Kershaw went seven innings tonight, and he's doing good. The first game against the Brewers where Clayton pitched, man, he he really did crappy. I don't think he uh, even made it through the third inning. Actually, it might have been through the fourth inning he didn't make it through, but he had an atrocious defense behind him. And like how I look at baseball, you know, you really have to put yesterday behind and like the only thing that exists is right now so it does nobody any good to tell me that Clayton Kershaw has like a five earned on average yeah it's news I get it but it's not now and you know all honestly all of it would be erased I think if Clayton Kershaw and the Dodgers won a World Series this year especially with Clayton Kershaw having two really good pitching performances this year he went eight innings of I think two runs excuse me eight innings of two hits versus the Braves then seven innings of one earned run ball tonight against the Brewers. And honestly, if Clayton Kershaw pitches this good the whole postseason and the Dodgers win a World Series, all's forgiven because, I'm, he, I mean, he won a World Series, right? Like, if you're a Major League Baseball player, you're honestly lucky to win one. And all that counts is right now, and especially if the Dodgers win a World Series this season, I mean, they're still primed and have the potential to go to the NLCS in a World Series for like the next few years coming because they've got so many young studs. If you don't watch a lot of Dodgers baseball, you've got Cody Bellinger, who is super exciting to watch right now. Just take the time and tune into a Cody Bellinger at bat, and I think the number one reason why I like him, 
That's because he stands at the plate and he looks like Ken Griffey Jr. His batting stance. So, like, I love it, man. It's just a blast, dude. They've got the lefty Max Muncy, who had, I think, 35 home runs this year, led the whole Dodgers team. Um, you know, they picked up Brian Dozier from the Twins, but other young guys they've got really, you've, um, well, they've got Justin Turner. Justin Turner is not a young guy, and he missed a big portion of this season, but Justin Turner is a top tier third baseman in this league. But, um, you know, the Dodgers are a West Coast team, so not a lot of guys like him, but, you know, tune into where you can get guys like, uh, Muncie, Cody Bellinger, Jock Peterson. Now, Jock Peterson's a guy that we don't really hear a lot about. In 2015, he was a rookie. Uh, him and Chris Bryant were rookies, and it was that 2015 where Chris Bryant won the Rookie of the Year. But the first half of that season, Jock Peterson, I believe, had a better season, and most people were predicting Jock Peterson to win that Rookie of the Year award just because how good he was. And he was a highly touted rookie, but, you know, the back half of 2015 up until the end of 2017 didn't really pan out. But Jock Peterson's a damn good leadoff hitter. I think he set a franchise record for leadoff home runs this season for the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he's a big left-handed bat, and he's a huge part of the Dodgers lineup, which that's part of the reason why, like, I've picked the Los Angeles Dodgers to win the whole World Series because a lot of their big bats at the top of that order through in and throughout. Um, a lot of guys they can rely on. Pretty good bullpen. They've got... Guys in the bullpen that are converted starters, which gives them the ability to go multiple innings. And kind of the reason why they have a little bit of advantage over the Milwaukee Brewers right now is the Milwaukee seems to where it looks like they have to bullpen too much because they don't have the starters for it. Like Gio Gonzalez has started twice. Gio Gonzalez, former 21-game winner and like a top three guy in earned run average, he started two games this series. In the first game, he went an inning. Second game, I think he went two innings. I mean, he's not really working out for him. The Brewers have Wade Miley, who can get a pretty productive start in. But oddly enough, tonight's game five, he pitched a one batter and they pulled him. And he wasn't hurt. He literally pitched to the first batter, Cody Bellinger, walked him, and then Craig Council pulled him. And so when I look at the Brewers, like they lack in starting pitching, but they've got a loaded bullpen but that bullpen's going to start to get tired, and they probably already are. You know, like the 2016 Cleveland Indians, guys like Andrew Miller and Cody Allen, the boys just got tired, and that's my fear with the Brewers and why, like, I don't think they'll hold up, but part of the reason why I like the Los Angeles Dodgers is because they have a bullpen they can stretch, but they also have starters in uh, Hinjin Ryu, Clayton Kershaw and Walker Bueller, who Walker's really yet to have a really good postseason start, but I know it's there, and I got faith in the kid that it'll happen because he's, he's a smart kid. I mean, the guy got like a 30 on his ACT or something. I am pretty sure I probably got like a 19. Uh, that's not a joke either. And, uh, you know, he's just a smart guy. I mean, he's a Vandy kid. So with Walker Bueller, like you already, you have the physical ability and it's there, but you also have the mental ability, which, which is primo. Um, he, he's the best of both worlds. He's going to be, he's going to be a top tier pitcher in this league for a long time. He's already had Tommy John surgery, so he should stay pretty healthy and he still yokes it at 97. And the Dodgers are going to be a team to contend with for years to come, especially if they retain Clayton Kershaw, who has an opt out into the end of this year. And I would imagine he'll do so, especially with the postseason performance that seems to be kicking pretty good. So I, I still like the Dodgers as my number one pick. I think they're still going to take the series. I think they're they're honestly just too load too loaded for it. Yasiel Puig got a big RBI tonight, and I always feel like with the Dodgers team, like if Puig's on, 
it's it's crazy, but he's almost like their unsung hero. And especially like when you have like Jock Peterson that's on, everything just seems to kind of fall in place. But I love this Dodgers team when Yasiel Puig is playing well, which he is right now. He's hitting the ball well. He got a big, I think, two-run single tonight, stretching singles into doubles. When he's on, I love this Dodgers team. And I know if you're listening to the podcast, you probably want to punch your monitor right now in hopes of your fist connecting to my face because you're probably saying, I hate Yasiel Puig. But he doesn't conform to, like, normal Major League Baseball, like, standards. Like, he doesn't, right? He's probably everything Goose Gossage hates. You know, Goose Gossage being the old man that's sitting on his porch telling kids to get the hell out. Yasiel Puig is that kid, man. But he he, he livens this team up so much. It, I mean, dude, when he's on, man, this Los Angeles Dodgers team, they really are a different team. And right now he's doing it, and I believe he's super determined. And honestly, I think he's underrated, man. He means more to this team than I think what most people think. And, you know, with that being said, Puig's a big bat in the thing. I kind of like where he's at. Um, I also love when Yasiel Puig breaks bats over his knee. To me, that's one of the most exciting things. If I could change one thing about baseball, it would be that people broke more bats over their knees, right? Like if you're watching a football game, right? So in the football game, they score a touchdown and they spike the football, right? Like Gronk does like the Gronk spike and you like celebrate. I would just love if a batter struck out. Like you should be required to break that bat, man. Because as a fan, if I'm not going to see a ball in play, just just destruct something, please. And I think it's the greatest thing in the world. And Puig does it so easy, man. And that guy's huge. He's got to be like 6'3", 250 solid, man. Dude is a big guy. But I love where the Dodgers are at, man. Um, anything else on the list? Again, to finalize the whole Manny Machado thing, dude, I don't think Manny's a dirty guy, dude. Honestly, his slides into second base were pretty soft. His hit on Aguilar was pretty soft. I think those guys know each other. I think they're just sick of seeing each other, man, to be honest with you. Playoffs is a whole different ballgame, man. Uh, Manny's a good guy. Everything's fine. Whatever. Red Sox Astros. Chris Sale apparently had an awful... Awful game one, dude. His velocity was down, so Chris Sale's not that guy. He, I mean, he had a pit. I think he topped out at 96 that night, and if you really don't know the backstory on Chris Sale, he had a little bit of Henry Rowan Gardner in him because his last start of the regular season, you get that reference, right? It's on Rookie of the Year where his arm goes back to normal during like the playoff game. And I can think what Chris Sale did because his last start of the regular season, his average basketball velocity was only 90 miles an hour. I think I could throw 90 miles an hour. Uh, no, I couldn't. Couldn't throw 90 miles an hour. But it's about six or seven miles an hour lower than what he's used to. And what we saw at our Chris Sale in the game one that he pitched, which was Sale Verlander, he, um, man, his mound presence was off. Um, his location was off. He, you know, he uh, his fastball was still low. You know, it was higher than a ninety mile an hour average, but his fastball had diminished velocity. He couldn't locate for shit, and his his mound presence just wasn't there, man. To me, with Chris Sale, like that's key. You know, one of my favorite pitchers ever is Mark Burley, a Chicago White Sox lefty. And when Chris Sale was coming up, Mark Burley was in that dugout, man. And Mark Burley, what he was a quick worker. He was efficient, man. He uh, he he took no time, dude. Uh, you know when he. Uh, when Mark Burley threw his perfect game, I don't think he shook one pitch off from – I don't think it was Przinsky that caught him. I don't remember who caught Chris Sale's no-hitter – or, I mean, excuse me, Mark Burley's perfect game. I don't think it was Przinsky, though. 
But, you know, he, he didn't shake the catcher off once. And, you know, Burley was just about his game and his mound presence, his ability to work quick, his confidence in his pitches, the confidence that he showed on the mound. It's something that rubbed off on Chris Sale, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I think Chris Sale's such a good pitcher. And really, that's the success of a lot of pitchers is their mound presence and how they carry themselves, you know. I've seen Chris Sale, you know, throw a ball that was a strike and get called a ball and him just turn his back to the umpire like it was a strike, right? He's uh he's ruthless. He's ruthless, man, on the pitcher's mound. He's like a gremlin that ate past midnight, dude. Like, he's vicious on the mound, man. And he, he wasn't that in game one. And then the very next day, he uh, – well, that night, I guess he got the bubble guts, dude. I guess he was, like, puking and throwing up, so he had a stomach illness and had to go to the hospital overnight, which is a pretty serious deal. But I imagine they hooked him up to an IV – let him poop his brains out, and then, you know, that's pretty much it. And, you know, we don't really know when he's going to pitch again, but for the Red Sox to for sure finish off the Astros, you know, they'll need they'll need a Chris Sale for sure, 100% Chris Sale. We don't really know if that's going to happen. But as far as the game he had in game one, man, I, I, dude, I mean, they said Alex Cora and Chris Sale both said, like, that night he wasn't sick from, like, any sort of stomach flu symptoms, but I don't buy it at all because I know completely he was off but you know how major league baseball players are especially like Chris Sale he would never admit to anything but to be honest with you his his uh, game one performance was still really impressive he settled down as it got to about the fifth and I think still only gave up one hit man I love the start from him um, I thought it was pretty gutsy because he literally had bubble guts and probably had to poop the whole time he was on the mound so you know that's bad news but the Astros you know I think they're in trouble for spying on the Boston Red Sox, apparently the Houston Astros are videotaping inside the opposing team's dugout to make sure they're not stealing signs, which is really shady business because, like, I'm going to cheat to make sure you're not cheating, right? And maybe, just maybe, they slipped some X-Lax in Chris Hill's Gatorade. We don't really know. Um, the Red Sox, man, still, somehow, they're a 108-game winner and they're an underdog. I don't get it. But, like, I kind of do get it, and I can't really put my finger on why I don't trust the Boston Red Sox. And I think a lot of it to do is with Craig Kimbrell's had a lot of rough bullpen outings. But it's hard. It's really difficult to put the Boston Red Sox as your favorite to win the American League when the Houston Astros have Justin Verlander, who I'm fully convinced now is the Tom Brady of Major League Baseball. Because upon completing his age 35 season, he set career highs in strikeouts, strikeouts per nine, whip, fielding independent pitching, uh, strikeout to walk ratio. Like He's reversing at this point. He's officially the Tom Brady of this gig. And Justin Verlander is so fun to watch because you know, I had this conversation with somebody today that, you know, guys like Verlander and Scherzer, like those two guys are by themselves right now, man. They're the last of a dying breed. It's somehow you've got these guys that can throw hard as hell. I think Scherzer throws all year round. Like he doesn't really stop. Um, but Verlander, man, he's just a freak right now. And his age 35 season is one of the most impressive seasons statistically he's had in his whole career. So that's why like, I think he's the Tom Brady in Major League Baseball because he's just getting better and better. And it's fun to watch. And it's hard to you know, not have – the Astros is like your favorite when you've got like Verlander and Garrett Cole, but you know, um, Charlie Morton ground Chuck, you know, tried to pitch tonight and didn't get through the third, didn't do really good. So, and then Garrett Cole, 
got popped for five runs in game two against the Red Sox. So this Houston Astros team is very much human. You know, Carlos Correa is not completely healthy. But actually, besides that, the rest of the lineup's pretty much fire. They've got, um, uh, hold on, the guy. So in game four, in game three, um, Tony Kemp. They have a guy named Tony Kemp who's a little outfielder that made a phenomenal catch at the wall in left field last night, which would have been Tuesday night. And, like, he he's great, man. You know, so look up Tony Kemp for sure. If you've never watched Tony Kemp hit or seen his, like, jumping catch, just Google uh, Tony Kemp ALCS catch and you'll get it, man. It's a phenomenal catch. The guy's a great athlete. He bats lefty. Uh, he hits well. And it's guys like that, man. And, you know, the Astros, because of the culture they've created, as they keep bringing guys up, man, they just get little hustlers that come up, dude. And Alex Bregman has – I mean, Alex Bregman's rise to stardom, I think, started – during the All-Star game when he was in the Home Run Derby and people were like super surprised. But, you know, if you knew anything about Alex Bregman in college, you wouldn't really be surprised because he he bashes baseballs, man. Like Alex Bregman hitting a baseball is probably illegal like in most states, dude, because it's pretty serious. But he's really, at this point, Alex Bregman risen to stardom and I think is the best player, the best hitter and defender in all the postseason right now as far as guys are playing, even more so than Christian Yelich came into the postseason hotter than a bottle rocket, but that sounded really hillbilly. But Alex Bregman, dude, has like a 700 on-base percentage right now, which is nuts, dude, right? Alex Bregman, if he gets on base 7 out of 10 times, like there is really not a task in my life that I can do 7 out of 10 times successfully. Like, I can't walk up the stairs seven out of ten times and not trip. I can't eat without getting food on my shirt seven out of ten times. Like, I can't drive my car and not curb it seven out of ten times. Like, I just can't do anything seven out of ten times. It's crazy. But hitting Major League Baseballs or getting on base that often, dude, it's spectacular, man. And the stuff he does at third base. Guy's got a rocket of an arm. He made a stellar barehanded grab a couple nights ago, dude, and made it look so easy. It's just stuff he does on the baseball field, man, it's a blast. And I love his personality. It kind of <laughs> – Bregman's personality kind of bit him in the ass because uh, right before game three, he had posted the video of saying that him and his teammates were d- watching some video, and this video was of the Astros hitting back-to-back-to-back home runs off Nathan Avaldi when he was a Tampa Bay Ray. But in Tampa Bay, now in Boston, Nathan Evaldi came out through like 101 miles an hour and got the win, dude. So like, but still, man, Bregman's personality, it's almost kind of like Conor McGregor, Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali. Like, dude, I know I'm the best. Like, bring it on. I'm going to get you. Dude, and the guy backs it up, man. He's a blast to play, dude. But we're going to end this episode now, man. We're at 30 minutes. I won't talk too much, dude. So thanks for uh, Thanks for hanging out with us. I think we're going to record again in a couple days. I'll have a guest on once I fix my audio box. But, um, dude, thanks for listening, man. All I wanted to do was really just uh, talk some baseball. Um, find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're at uh, The Greatest on Dirt. Greatest on Dirt. Don't put the in front of it. Just do Greatest on Dirt on Twitter and Facebook. It's Greatest on Dirt. Instagram is greatest show on dirt. I don't know why they're different. I should probably change them. But if you listen to the podcast, we still have free stickers. Dude, I've got a few free stickers left. So if you want a free sticker, leave us a review on iTunes or Facebook. 
and I'll send you like a crap ton of free stickers, dude. And they're pretty cool, kind of just like put everywhere. Um, I mean, you could put it like on your t-shirt, you can put it on your face, you can put it on your kid's face, you can put it on the wall that you uh, punch the hole in. If you got a dent in your car or whatever, like, you know how Ricky Bobby puts a Fig Newton sticker on his windshield? You could put a Greatest Sean Dirt sticker on your windshield and it might be pretty cool. But um, other than that, man, thank you so much for listening. We'll, uh, we'll probably catch you guys in a couple days, man. So take care and enjoy that playoff baseball.